Good day. I'm Martin Webb, and welcome to the twice-monthly Climate Report, now at our new time on the first and third Tuesday of every month at 6.30 p.m. on KVMR. Today, we put the focus on you, the listener, the average American. Well, you're not that average because you're listening to KVMR right now, but let's say you're a little above average. Today's show, we'll talk about how you and the climate can benefit from different utility rate plans, how you can take advantage of all the new government incentives that are being kick-started by last year's federal climate law, and we revisit how your pet's food can make a huge climate difference. And finally, we close with some tips on saving water, which saves energy and helps the climate. First, let's start with some more information that we regularly like to bring to the airwaves, just reminding listeners that no matter what utility company you get your electricity from, there are oftentimes multiple rate plans that can help you either save money or also help the environment. So as a reminder, these are some of the things available for PG&E customers. Um, There is the Power Saver Rewards Program. Um, That's a program that pays people to reduce energy use from 4 to 9 p.m. on select hot summer days. Not every day, but on select hot summer days between May and October when demand for electricity is highest. This is, again, the PG&E Power Saver Rewards Program. If you reduce your energy use during those hours on those specific days and they give you notice ahead of time, you will receive a bill credit after that season ends of May to October. And there is no penalty for not reducing energy. So again, that's the Power Saver Rewards Program. If you're a PG&E electricity customer who's willing to get a notice, and there are different ways to be noticed, and you have a choice, you can give them email, you can uh, give them cell phone number for texts. Um, There's different ways to get that notice. You can choose all of the above. And then you'll be given a heads up and the following day from 4 to 9 p.m. If you choose to reduce electricity versus your normal usage, then you get a credit. And again, no penalty for not reducing energy. There's no extra hit or premium for that, which is different than another program that some people are on. I'm on this one. It's called the Smart Rate Program. PG&E's Smart Rate Program is very similar to the Power Saver Rewards Program. I'm actually on both of those. With a smart rate program, um, it's the similar type of thing where they give you advance notice at least a day ahead on a very hot day during the summer months when they believe electricity use is going to be the highest. The smart rate plan works this way, though. During those special hours and days that they call for power to be reduced, they will charge you an arm and a leg for any electricity used during that time. But in exchange, the entire rest of the summer, you're given a credit about a one cent a kilowatt hour credit all of the rest of the summer, every single day, every month during that time period. So the power saver rewards and the smart rate are different, but similar power saver rewards. There's no penalty if you don't respond to their call to reduce electricity, but they will give you a credit if you reduce electricity during those calls to action. The smart rate program is different. It's similar call to action, but you will pay a high price if you use power then, and you'll get a credit the entire rest of the summer. Whereas the Power Saver Rewards, you only get credits during the four or five hour periods of action. So we're all getting used to this with climate change, with PG&E, with the grid. Um, There are oftentimes moments during the summer when it is hottest and it's predicted that everyone's going to turn their ACs on. Power supplies might be short. They warn people to not use power. 
And this is these are just different programs and ways to monetize acting upon that. Um, so again, with the power saver rewards, you get a little credit during those few hour calls to action. And then the smart rate program, you get credits all summer long. And the difference is that you'll pay a high price during those calls to action. There's also medical baselines. Um, that is a discount program for people who use electricity for medical use, um, for, you know, oxygen machines, um, even the CPAC machines for uh, people who have sleep apnea, that qualifies. And if you have some sort of qualification for medical use of electricity, then pg e will give you much larger monthly baselines, especially um, during the winter that can really help um, when people are using electricity more when it's darker later. So if you have any medical use of electricity, then it's worth investigating the medical baseline program. And all, a lot of these things that I'm talking about can actually be layered and bundled on top of each other. It's not like you have to pick one or the other. You can do the power saver rewards and get a credit for not using power during those high strains. You can be on the smart rate program and get discounts all summer long. You can be on a medical baseline and get much larger baselines every month, which means you stay in the cheapest power price range before going into the upper tiers. If you're considered an all-electric home, you can also lower your bills. I had a friend that didn't know he could qualify for this. And here's the rub when it comes to PG&E territory. To be considered an all-electric home, you have to use electricity to heat during the winter. That's it. If you're using electricity to heat during the winter in PG&E territory, then you can call PG&E, let them know, and you'll be put on a different rate plan so that during the winter months, you're given huge baselines and you stay in their cheapest rates, their cheapest tiers before going into those upper tiers. You just have to use electricity to heat. Um, as an example, this one friend of mine, um, when he switched to an all-electric rate plan, his wintertime bills dropped $200 a month because he was using electricity to heat. Okay, so Power Saver Rewards Program. We talked about the Smart Rate Program, Medical Baselines. If you use electricity for medical use, all electric homes can get discounts. Then there's low-income programs. Um, there's the Care Plans, Cal uh, Care Plans, California Alternative Rates for Electricity. That's what CARE stands for. And so they have uh, on their website, you can go to pge.com, and you can search for CARE, CARE Rate Plans, and they have very specific uh, income limits based on the number of members of your household. If you have one person, two people, three, four, five, this is the amount of income. And if your income is below that, then you qualify for discounted rates. I know quite a few people that benefit from care rates. Okay, ways to help the environment. Um, this is part of the subject matter with Pioneer Community Energy coming in to supply power to Nevada City and Grass Valley. Uh, PG&E normally has what they call their solar choice plan, where you can have your power come 100% from solar or 50% from solar. And by law, then they have to procure solar into their grid to offset your usage. I use this. I'm currently a renter, and I'm on the solar choice program so that that way 100% of my electricity comes from solar, even though I don't have solar panels on my home. Unfortunately, there were limits on uh, the amount of people that could sign up. pg is having trouble um, getting new power plants and new renewable energy online. So right now, they're not accepting people for solar choice. But those of you that are in the city limits of Nevada City and Grass Valley, if you choose to opt in to Pioneer Community Energy, which you will automatically be done unless you opt out, 
after the first of the year, then you will be able to choose a 100% renewable energy plan through Pioneer. And uh, the price of Pioneer's 100% renewable energy plan is cheaper than PG&E's regular rates. Uh, you can go to PG&E's website or Pioneer's website. Both utility companies are very upfront showing the savings uh, that you would get and what the costs are with Pioneer versus PG&E. And uh, it turns out the Pioneer Green Energy Plan, again, is cheaper than just PG&E's regular rates. PG&E is, uh, is very much headed also in the renewable energy direction because of state law is forcing them to do that. Okay, what else is there? Oh, EV rates, of course. If, uh, if you have an EV, uh, most people are aware when they get an EV, they're informed that there are special rate plans you can sign up for so that you can charge your EV in the middle of the night at very low rates. Um, so there are some things that you can do in order to um, save money and also help the environment by making environmental choices with your rate plans. Okay, uh, there's a lot to, uh, to shoehorn in because today's show, again, is all about providing you with information on he how you can take action. And personal action is so vitally important um, for anyone that feels like personal action doesn't matter, your action uh, doesn't make a difference. My analogy is always towards voting. You know, if, if personal action doesn't matter, then voting doesn't matter because mathematically, mathematically speaking, I can prove to any one person that their vote doesn't matter. I can show that no one has voted for a governor or a senator or house representatives or president and had their candidate win or lose by one vote. So using that same argument, I could say, well, voting doesn't matter, so you don't need to vote. No one needs to vote, right? Because your vote didn't count. You could have not voted, and it wouldn't have made a difference to the election. It is extraordinarily rare for any election to be decided by one vote. Therefore, mathematically, your vote doesn't count. But of course it counts because it's adding them all up together, and that's the exact same thing with climate action. So those two things have to be either true or false. If one vote matters, then one climate action matters because I can, again, mathematically prove that one vote doesn't matter. I can mathematically prove that one climate action does save some certain amount of emissions. So uh, we know that it's the aggregation of all of these actions together. Um, we know that uh, personal climate action is very much what's required because the politicians right now are the last responders. Um, and there was just a recent report showing that under current pledges and everything that politicians are pledging to do, um, they're planning to burn up the planet. We would still be headed towards almost three degrees Celsius of warming. So the political plan is to burn things down. And us as individuals, we're here to fill that gap because politics is only going so far. The IRA law from last year that we're about to talk about, the Inflation Reduction Act, it initially was going to do quite a bit towards addressing the United States emissions um, until Senator Joe Manchin, whose uh, for fortune is on coal, he was able to dismantle much of the Build Back Better plan so that now there is a huge gap in the plan to reduce emissions. And keep in mind that this law, even though it's supposed to get rid of about three-fourths or maybe 80% of, uh, uh, of the goal that we have as Americans and as a, as a planet. We're all expected to reduce our emissions 50% over 10 years. And that sounds like a huge deal. But listen, that's 7% a year. 
If you just reduce 7% a year over 10 years, you hit your 50% target. That's pretty easy. We're just looking for 5 to 7%, 5 to 10% a year of reducing what we're doing. And this uh, climate law doesn't get us to that 50% reduction. It's like building an eight-story ladder to the 10th floor that's on fire. So personal action is absolutely required to build, uh, to bridge that gap. And furthermore, these laws are dependent. In order for these emission savings that they're projecting to take place, they're dependent on us taking action. No one is going to come and give you these incentives and do the work. So personal action is really at the crux of this. We are the first responders. And so the Department of Energy has given, I've talked about this before, we're rehashing some of this. So it's in one condensed show of what you can do. Uh, Department of Energy has a, a new tool, an online tool that can help you get your share of the climate laws, billions of dollars in incentives. Um, uh, between ten dollars to $20,000 worth of incentives are available to people, including renters. So uh, there is a new hub, an online hub to walk you through the process because this can be a, a challenging subject for people. The, the subject of energy is so complicated and then you get into government incentives. Holy cow. So here is the one-stop shop to walk you through the process of accessing incentives through the Inflation Reduction Act that was signed last year for energy audits, heat pumps, EVs, and more. And it's called the Energy Savings Hub. That's all you need to remember. Those three words, you can Google it, Energy Savings Hub. It's the U.S. Department of Energy's special website. They've created a one-stop shop to put all the tax credits and rebates at your fingertips. They've got easy-to-navigate big buttons and friendly icons. And, and again, this Inflation Reduction Act provides American households with, on average, more than $10,000 um, to electrify their homes and become more efficient. But this bonanza of incentives will only help if people know about them. And uh, a survey from January found that two-thirds of U.S. adults had heard little to nothing about the Inflation Reduction Act. And even after being briefed on it, only 22% thought it would benefit them personally. So that's our job. That's why I am here. This has become a crisis of communication. We have all the solutions. We know what we need to do. We have the technologies. And uh, we just need to not wait for someone else to play our part. So... Um, go to the Energy Savings Hub if that's something that you want to investigate. And um, please consider sharing it on social media. It is the way to plan your upgrades, get information related to any of the tax credits. There's even a renter's page. Um, so the Energy Savings Hub, that's, uh, that's the place to um, find out how you can make a difference with the incentives and, and the nudge, the nudge from Grandpa Joe up there in the White House. Okay, now we're going to revisit a subject that is dear to everyone's hearts. Our, our animal companions, our cats, our dogs, our guinea pigs, fish, birds, lizards, whatever you may have that brings you joy and comfort in your life. Um, this is a subject that I keep bringing back to the airwaves. And it's similar to a subject that I keep haranguing uh, listeners on, and that is our diets. Our diets have a big part in climate solutions. Um, people are really hung up on, on big technology and, and transportation, but it's really um, our diets can make a huge difference. If you're a regular listener, you know recently there was a study that showed 
even if we suddenly flip the switch on green electricity and green transportation, just the way we produce and eat food and the way we waste it and how much meat we eat and all of the things involved, we would still blow through the 1.5 degrees Celsius limit that science has said we absolutely must stay below. So uh, the food is so important and it's so easy. It's such a simple way to address this. It doesn't require big incentives and politicians and fighting about things. It's just making different choices. And as I often say to the people around me, it's we shouldn't be so enamored and, and fixated on the technology outside of us between our ears. The technology between our ears is the best technology and it's where all the solutions lie. So let's talk about the food that's going into our pets' mouths. Uh, recently, we talked about a study that quantified the different carbon footprints of the diets and uh, companionship of different animals. We learned that dogs far and above have the single biggest climate impact and negative impact on the environment, um, almost 10 times that of cats, the way that we feed them and the care and the food that they require. Um, we looked at fish, which were even less, birds. So here's an interesting story that I wanted to bring back to you and revisit because I know us here in the rural areas, we love dogs. There are dogs everywhere. You probably have a dog near you right now. So this is a very interesting article. came out a year ago based on a study. It says, and, and don't get triggered by this, okay? I'm going to talk about how dogs can eat healthy without eating meat and the importance of that, okay? Because there's a lot of disagreement and discussion about whether you have meat in your diet as, as people and as animals. And of course, there are bad ways to do things and good ways to do things. Um, so you could be a very unhealthy vegetarian or vegan, or you could be actually be very healthy. So, okay, here we go. Ready? World's dogs going vegan would save more emissions than the entire United Kingdom produces. That's Scotland, England, and Northern Ireland. The study estimates that cats and dogs consume almost 10% of all land animals killed for food. Okay, so this isn't intended to be guilt or morose. This is all about um, education and understanding, wow, this is a place where you can actually make a difference. Have your dog be healthy and happy and help with the climate. Okay, here we go. It says, if all the world's dogs went vegan, it would save more greenhouse gas emissions than those produced by the UK. According to research advocating the environmental benefits of plant-based pets. This is in The Guardian. It says, the study estimated cats and dogs consume about 9% of all land animals killed for food. That's about 7 billion other animals annually, as well as billions of fish and aquatic animals. Plant-based diets lower greenhouse gas emissions and require less land and water. The research at the University of Winchester calculated that if all the world's dogs went vegan, this is just if, don't freak out, if the, all the world's dogs went vegan, it would free up a larger land mass than Mexico and more fresh water than all the renewable fresh water in Denmark. And it would feed about 450 million additional people, more than the entire EU population. So let's absorb that for just a second. If all the world's dogs went vegan, the size of Mexico, that entire landmass, would be freed up to help repair what we're doing. It would free up more fresh water than all the fresh water in Denmark. 
and it would feed almost half a billion additional people. The dogs would still be happy and healthy, but we could feed almost 500 million additional people. Then it continues, if all the world's cats went vegan, it would save more emissions than those produced by New Zealand. It would save land area size larger than Germany. And it would save fresh water exceeding all the renewable fresh water in Jordan and would feed about 70 million additional people or more than the entire UK population. This is according to the study that was published in the PLOS One Scientific Journal. Professor Andrew Knight, the veterinary academic who led the study, said that many pet owners were unaware of the profound environmental impacts caused by their animals' food. He said pet owners who care about the environment or their animals' health should consider nutritionally sound vegan pet food. He noted that large-scale studies had already shown that dogs and cats can be just as healthy or even more on a vegan diet so long as they eat pet food that is specially formulated with additional vitamins, amino acids, and minerals to ensure it is nutritionally sound. He added, studies of feeding behavior have demonstrated that average dogs and cats enjoy vegan pet foods as much as those made from meat. Okay, did you catch that? So they've got studies that show dogs and cats enjoy food just as much. They're not more angry or disappointed or hungrier. They can enjoy vegan pet foods just as much as those made from meat. And large-scale studies have already shown they can be just as healthy or actually even more. Now, it continues, until recently, though, it was difficult for cats and dogs to follow a plant-based diet. However, vegan pet food has developed in recent years, with the vegan dog food market valued at 11.5 billion pounds in 2023 and projected to double at 21 billion pounds by 2033. That's the vegan dog food market measured in billions of pounds because this is from the UK, and, uh, and it's projected to double. So it's just going to be more and more available. Now, uh, going back to the professor, Knight, uh, Knight's calculations also demonstrated that if all the world's people went vegan, it would save more greenhouse gases than all of those admitted by the entire EU. It would free up land larger than Russia and India combined. It would free up renewable fresh water exceeding all of that of Cuba and would feed more than five billion additional people, almost two-thirds of the world's current population. The article closes by saying the British Veterinary Association and Blue Cross have previously advised against feeding animals a vegan diet, as it can be difficult to get the balance of nutrients right, leading to a risk of dietary deficiencies and associated disease. They recommend that anyone considering a vegan diet for their pet should consult their vet first okay so it's all about making the right decisions doing it the correct way i think there's even a business underwriter that specializes in um, uh, special food for animal companions special needs so there you have it that's a lot of land and water and humanity that could be fed um, and what i want to continue to underscore is as i've been developing my personal attitude towards the climate is this doesn't have to be all or nothing Oftentimes, it's just incremental change. 
And again, when we talk about reducing emissions 50% over a decade, that sounds daunting until you say it's 7% a year. That's not daunting. You can still do 93% of what you're doing. So with these vegan pet foods and vegan choices for humans, it doesn't have to be something that you always do. It can just be an occasional switch that might grow over time. Okay, well, let's talk about water. Because this is something that we don't oftentimes talk a lot about. There's a lot of talk about energy, about solar, about electric cars, about big fancy technology. That's how we're trained as Americans to be woo-wooed, shiny objects. Uh, how are we going to buy ourselves out of this? I can't wait to shop my way out of global warming. And then turns out that's not necessarily how it's going to go. Um, so water. Let's talk about water because water is a big deal. Um, how to use less water. These are 15 essential tips from beef burgers to mega butts to cutting back on clothes. This was something also I plucked out of The Guardian a couple months ago. Written by Emma Beddington, she says, I went on a mission to help save the world's water and found dozens of ways to do it, including ice cubes in potted plants, giving up jeans, and mastering my flush. She says, I spent much of last year's boiling hot dry summer freaking out about drought. Baking days, uh, hosepipe bands, parched plants, and suffering wildlife gave me acute day-to-day -day anxiety and a real fear for the future. This year, I was determined to do something more productive than hand-wringing, so I resolved to cut my water consumption. Then, it rained for much of the summer. The UK had 170% of average rainfall this July, making it the sixth wettest on record. But that doesn't make my efforts pointless. And this sounds like California. Super dry last year, suddenly a deluge this year. She says we still need to save water. Scientists have calculated that the climate crisis makes drought 20 times more likely, so one wet summer only offers short-term respite. The UN predicts that demand for fresh water will exceed supply by 40% by 2030. And in the UK, Sir James Bevan of the Environment Agency warned a couple of years ago that without action, the UK water companies would face what he called the jaws of death, the point at which demand for water outstrips supply within 20 years. Also, saving water reduces your carbon footprint. Treating and transporting it is energy-intensive business. Approximately 12% of a typical gas-heated home energy's consumption in the UK goes on heating water. So um, with water companies tackling leakage and doing what they can, here are different ways that you could look at addressing your own usage at home. Um, so she does it sort of uh, room by room, which is pretty cool. So the kitchen, drinking smart. No one is trying to limit how much water you drink, but you can limit how much you waste, starting with the kettle. A surprising number of people insist on emptying and refilling theirs every time they use it. If you can't break that habit, you can at least thwart it. Filling the kettle with precision is, uh, let's see, is my infallible superpower, she says. But if you're a less committed tea drinker, use your mug Pre-fill your mug with water and then pour it in so you have the correct amount of water. Um, keeping your cooking water, classic water conservation tip is to reuse water that has already been used once for washing fruit, vegetables, or rice. Um, using that as, uh, for houseplants or in the garden or cooled pasta water. Um, run your dishwasher and washing machine full. Fewer loads reduce water consumption. Reusing ice cubes. Uh, she says she found this tip online. It won't make a dramatic difference, but she says, I quite enjoy chucking used ice cubes, or the ones that fall on the floor, um, into potted plants. Then there's the bathroom. Uh, sort out your sink. She says, obviously, I turn off the tap when brushing my teeth, which generates a 24-liter savings on average for twice-daily brushers. 
Um, she added an attachment to reduce the flow, other water-saving gizmos out of your sink. Timing your shower. Showers are one of the biggest culprits in home water use. A shower usually uses between 8 and 12 liters a minute. So uh, the recommendation between bathing or shower is 4 to 5 minutes. So if you're taking a shower longer than 5 minutes, a bath can actually be more efficient um, than that. Then there's mastering your flush. Of course, some people have gotten used to not flushing right away if, uh, if you're doing it number one. Checking for leaks. Um, and then uh, the garden. Um, keeping the water in and around your plants as much as possible and using gray water as much as possible. Um, and then she also talks about the bigger picture. Consider your diet is almost certainly the biggest indirect source of water consumption. And that um, cutting back on clothes, buying fewer clothes is a good idea for many reasons, but water use is one of them. To just make one pair of denim jeans, 10,000 liters of water are required to make one pair, according to UN Climate Change Group. That's the water used to grow the kilo of cotton needed. So, uh, so there you go. There's a quick handful of tips for you because we're now out of time. Thanks for tuning in. That's all for today's Climate Report broadcasting and podcasting here on KVMR-FM and at kvmr.org now every first and third Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. I'm Martin Webb. As always, today's show will be archived and posted to the KVMR website's podcast page for sharing or relisting. For questions or comments, feel free to email climatereport at kvmr.org. 